Are you captivated by the uncharted possibilities of maps? Intrigued by the transformative force of location intelligence? Welcome to Mapping the Conversations, where you become part of a movement that leverages geospatial technology to navigate the intricate dance between humanity and Earth. Together, we will dive into uncharted waters, chart new territories, and amplify the resounding impact of location intelligence in each conversation. I'm your host, Valerie Brett. Barbara Ryan is a stalwart in the geospatial industry, having previously worked with the U.S. Geological Survey, the World Meteorological Organization, and the Open Earth Observations. She also served on several boards and advisor committees at various national and international organizations, such as the Jane Goodall Institute. She is now the Executive Director of the World Geospatial Industry Council. Today, she joins me for a conversation on how industries shape in the geospatial conversation. Welcome, Barb. It's great to have you. Thanks, Valerie. Really appreciate the invitation, and I'm happy to be here. So I noticed that the WGIC just rebranded. Can you walk us through the significance of the WGIC's new brand and what it represents for the geospatial industry? I'd be happy to do that, Val. And let me just back up a little bit because honestly, Val, you and Geotech Vision and some of the different hats that you've had in the community, you were there at the beginning. So you've actually got more history with WGIC than I do. I came in in 2019 and I think you were there on the ground floor in 2017 or 2018 when those conversations were taking place for the need for a global trade association not-for-profit, but represents the commercial sector. And you know what? We had a good brand as the organization stood up. There were many regional associations, one in the United States, the Management Association of Private Photogrammetrists, one in Europe, European Association, Remote Sensing Companies, one in India. But there had never been a global trade association. And all these companies, all of our member companies, many of them were working globally. So it was a great idea to stand it up. The whole rebranding effort at about the five-year mark was just to say, if you looked at our old logo and if people saw WGIC, the letters, they probably didn't know what it was or what it stood for. They saw compass there, which was really good because a lot of the stuff we do is mapping. But we went into um, some discussions with a just a great designer of a Vexing who would just ask us, kind of levels of questions about what we're doing. And then I have to really credit him for coining geospatial in everything and geospatial for everyone. He made it very clear that when you go through a rebranding effort, the stronger brands have a nice story that goes with it. And so as we talked about where is geospatial used, well, it's clear that it's in the atmosphere, it's in the oceans, it's on the land. It's underground and it's in the built environment. And so he just put some nice images together that showed really each of these domains or spheres, I would say, in just Earth observations, any observations in, on, or around the Earth 
picked out colors and then brought that into our entire new rebranding. So I hope somewhere when the interview gets published, we'll be able to show the new logo for WGIC because you will see the colors in the G, which we've really focused on, walk you from the sky to the land, to the ocean, to underground, and then to the built environment. And so it's just It's a wonderful story that really, for me, communicates, number one, to ourselves and reminds us that we're everywhere and we touch everyone really almost every day. But hopefully this will be an easier way to communicate to users how important geospatial information is. Great. So geospatial in everything, geospatial for everyone. That's really powerful. Would you say that it encapsulates the vision and mission of WGIC? Yeah, I would absolutely say it is. And I think that's why we feel so good and get so excited about the new branding. But Val, I want to be clear, you know, there are challenges and you probably face the same kind of challenges. Oftentimes when, you know, I'm talking to my brother, he'll say, now what's geospatial, you know? And so it's A lot of people outside, of course, they know maps and they understand the importance of maps and portraying geospatial information on a product, but somehow they have a little difficulty transitioning it to just all the online apps. Clearly, they use them with Google Maps or whatever, but we still have some challenges showing that it's in everything and touches everyone. Yeah, and as you say that, Is it that we find it difficult to communicate that? Is that part of the problem or messaging? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit maybe later on, but, you know, this will be my last year at WGIC. We'll be transitioning to a new executive director, Aaron Addison, and, and I'm really quite excited about him coming in. He asks a good question of us, in service of what? You know, so we talk a lot about geospatial and the importance of our sector, and we know it is so important. But I think when it comes to messaging, we've got to go that extra mile and talk about in service of what. It's not just about geospatial in and of itself. It's for something else. And, you know, particularly with you and your background and all the work that you've done on disasters, disasters is more apt to be the story or flooding or hurricanes than the geospatial part. Of course, geospatial is important, but I think our whole sector would benefit from us being a little bit less focused on the technology and trying to get to the so what. Yes, definitely agree with that because it's always in service of something. We're just not doing it for the sake of making maps, it's for the understanding of an underlying phenomenon or a challenge or bringing a solution. Exactly. So from your perspective, though, you've been in the industry for a very long time. How has the geospatial conversation evolved over the years? Yeah, that's a good question, Val, because, yeah, it has been a long time. When I go back to those early days at the USGS, I think it was 1974. And of course, in college before that, it would have been in the early 70s. You know, I think we looked at things rather siloed at that time. So you either look at cartography or surveying or remote sensing or hydrology and The evolution that I've seen, and while it's not perfect, we are getting there to finally realize that all of these 
tools need to be better integrated and linked because we truly do live in and on an integrated earth. So we know that the atmosphere and the land and the oceans touch each other. And yet our whole discipline and many other disciplines, I would argue also, have been pretty siloed. So the evolution that I've seen is there really is a better understanding that we've got to start looking at these in a much more integrated fashion. Definitely. What would you say are the most significant changes or advancement that you have witnessed in the geospatial industry? You know what, let me preface this a little bit, Val, because when you introduced me, you know, most of my career has really been on the public sector side, USGS, WMO, and GEO, a national public sector agency, and then two international, but still public sector agencies. This is really my first step into, well, let's say the not-for-profit world, which is what WGAC is, but our members are all private sector. And I have just been amazed at the technological advances that are coming out of the industrial sector, the commercial sector. I love what's going on with spatial digital twins, and it could be underground, above ground, in the atmosphere, or what Europe wants to do with a digital twin of the entire Earth. You know, the evolution and the changes that we've seen in geospatial artificial intelligence I mean, just the rapidity and the speed with which this technology is moving forward, it presents its own challenges because on the government side, it's pretty hard to keep up with, you know, whether it's guidelines or regulations with how quickly the technology is changing. But for me, really, I think the significant changes and advances have really been on just the creation of spatial digital twins so that we can start modeling what's happening in a given area. And I know we'll maybe touch on it a little bit later because I feel pretty strongly that as we integrate those, it will, in fact, start to build out the metaverse that we so desperately need. Okay. Okay. So as you speak of the innovation in our industry and where it's going, what do you see the role of industry as in shaping that conversation? Yeah, I think it it really ties back to the earlier response about how quickly things are changing. Industry really can be, in fact, I might argue, has an obligation to be a forcing function on the entire system institutions, whether they're public or private, you know, I think we often get kind of locked into how we've always done something that's comfortable, it works, you know, so if it's not broken, why fix it? And yet, with all the changes that are taking place on the commercial side, that can be a forcing function to really streamline operations elsewhere in the whole ecosystem. And for me, that's one of the most important things to really push. It's just this, it's inserting innovation into the whole system. Nice. I know that WGIC has been involved in several initiatives. Can you share with us any industry-led initiative or collaborations that have made a significant impact on maybe the geospatial discourse that's happening now? 
Yeah, and we've got several, Val, that may come up over the next course of our conversation. Let's talk, one, about a report that we just issued at Energeo, a big European event that was held a couple weeks ago in Berlin. It's actually the largest geospatial event in the world. It's a large exhibition that always takes place in Germany. Germany hosts it, but it's in fact global. We released three reports there. The one that I'll talk about right now is Africa Geospatial Public-Private Partnerships. You know, we had done some policy work here in the United States and in Europe kind of looking at public-private partnerships. In fact, we had issued a report a few years ago. And I'll be honest, I wasn't quite sure there was really an appetite for public-private partnerships. In my opinion, the conversation would often be the government's the contractor, They have resources. They turn around and contract, you know, the private sector for a job to be done. Now, of course, that's a partnership. It's a partnership between a public sector and a private sector. But when you think about this whole spectrum of public-private partnerships, there's an evolution to real skin in the game on both sides. So it's not just the government coming to the table with resources and a need It's also the private sector contributing either resources or expertise to advance this whole system. So while we thought things were kind of just kind of rolling along here in the United States and Europe, we said, listen, why don't we go to Africa and just see with those emerging economies and maybe not as wedded to traditional business practices like there are in other parts of the world. Let's see what the appetite is for public-private partnerships. That report has just been issued, and it just really does a nice job in my mind of articulating business and financial considerations for geospatial public-private partnerships. And there's really a whole range and Again, I kind of look at it as skin in the game, but you know, you can look at an X and a Y axis for the public sector and the private sector and, you know, who's contributing. And of course, you want to move up and out, you know, to the right where you've got both parties contributing. And this report kind of articulates challenges and case studies. It's available off our website for free, so we'd encourage anybody to go on. So I think that's a really good example of some work we've done most recently in that policy domain. I'm definitely going to be looking at that because coming out of our meeting, America's meeting, the 10th meeting that we had, one of the things that the private sector network has committed to do is to look at authoring a report on public-private philanthropic partnerships in the Americas. So that would definitely, we can see what can be extrapolated from that as well. Yeah, sure. To take whatever you need from it. And this actually builds on an earlier report that was done by uh, Prashant Shukla, our first PPP report. So take a look at both of those. Yep. Definitely will. So WGIC also released a report on the metaverse at Intergeo. In that report, it highlights that geospatial information will fuel the metaverse and operate digital twins in various industries. Quite ambitious. Can you expand on that vision? Yeah, yeah. And I'm really excited about this. This is another really exciting report. And, you know, I know that the metaverse maybe means different things to different people. And there are some organizations that kind of want to coin it as theirs. And I think there's a tendency for a lot of people to think that it's just a gaming environment. You know, so you put on 3D glasses and you maneuver through this virtual environment. 
that's important and it's certainly there, but I don't think we should get locked in to that definition. I think it's actually a rather limited definition of the metaverse. So what we postulate in this report is let's just go back to kind of the source word of metaverse. You know, we think about metadata. It's data about data. It's about something. So why aren't we thinking about the metaverse as something about the universe? So it's the physical universe in which we live. But when we talk about this metaverse, it's really just a virtual or digital representation of our physical universe. And so for us, if you've got a digital twin of this desk, the house, the street, the neighborhood, you know, the state, the country, or again, like Europe wants to do the entire earth, if we could start doing a better job of integrating these spatial digital twins, regardless of their scale, regardless of their geography, regardless of their domain, wouldn't the sum total of all that digital twin work around the world at least get you pretty far down the road to create a metaverse or the metaverse? And that's, I think, what our industry really needs to be kind of getting behind. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I normally start a lot of my geospatial or GIS training sessions by stating what GIS is. And a lot of times I say it's a modeling of the real world in a computer environment. And when you really think about it, that's exactly what that gets to, right? Yeah, exactly. Listen, it's a powerful visualization tool, but I love your word modeling of that environment because that's where you start to do predictions. If this then what? If we put more rain in the system or more wind in the system or whatever, then what is more people take out for us? Then what is the landscape going to look like and what are the changes? So it can be such a powerful predictive tool if we start thinking of it rather than just a gaming environment. Okay. Definitely. So let's switch a little bit to advocacy. Tell us a little bit about some of WGIC's work in at the main in terms of advocacy in shaping that geospatial conversation. Let's see a couple things. If we just go back to the goals of WGIC, and they're pretty simple, Val, and they actually haven't changed from when the organization was first created. It really is just enhancing the role of the sector of the geospatial industry so that we can strengthen our contributions to society and, of course, the global economy. That's number one. So we've got to continue to advocate the role that this sector can play in service of something. The second goal is to do policy advocacy, and that's where the Metaverse report would have been done. We pick a topic every year. We've got a policy committee that kind of works with our governing board to say, listen, this is topic A, B, or C that we think is quite relevant, and we'll undertake a study. Like you mentioned, this year it was Metaverse. And then, of course, we want to create business opportunities for our members. So the advocacy really takes place along each one of those goals, whether it's for society, we do advocacy with, say, the Climate Convention to show the climate negotiators and those parties, those governments around the world, you've got to keep investing in your government agencies. They were here 20 years ago. They'll be here 20 years from now. But if you don't start looking at capabilities that the private sector has, you're sub-optimizing your climate action or for the Sendai framework, your disaster action 
or for the SDGs. You know, you're suboptimizing it if you're not using all the tools in the toolbox. So that's an advocacy piece. Obviously, there's an advocacy piece on the, the policy studies like we were talking about with PPPs or the metaverse. And then there's even an advocacy part with creating additional business opportunities. I had the pleasure of meeting essentially a venture capitalist, an investment firm at a meeting I was at. And while they've traditionally invested in some kind of online applications, they're looking at the market and saying, you know, we think there's going to be a shift towards geospatial and earth observations. So then we've been able to connect some of our member companies who are looking for their next phase of investment with this particular organization, and we hope that there are more of them. So I'd actually argue that we're doing advocacy on each one of those strategic goals of the organization. Wonderful. It has been good talking so far. But before we continue, let's pause for a message from one of our sponsors. Geotech Vision is proud to sponsor this episode of Mapping the Conversations. As leaders in geospatial technologies, Geotech Vision is committed to empowering conversations that shape our world. From the intricacies of cartography to the future of location-based services, we support this auditory journey. Because at Geotech Vision, we don't just map spaces, we map the future. Welcome back to this fascinating conversation with Barbara Ryan. Barb, it's been a pleasure talking to you. We've been talking about many things. I wanted to get into some of the challenges and opportunities. What challenges does the industry face in really steering the geospatial conversation in the right direction? Well, I think there are a couple challenges. Let's pick one that will just tie into what we were talking about before the break. And that's in a lot of these international governance mechanisms. And honestly, it could be UNGGIM. It could be the Conference of the Parties for Biodiversity or for Climate. These are largely government mechanisms. And so getting one in the door as either a not-for-profit or a private sector entity is difficult. And getting in the door is difficult. And then having a meaningful conversation where both sides start to trust each other a little bit more and aren't so skeptical is still an evolving process. So I think that's a challenge, a challenge kind of at that public policy governance level. I think we have two other challenges I would highlight. One is we have an industry academia committee. So what we often hear from academia is, geez, our, it's hard having our graduates find jobs. We often hear from industry, boy, finding talented people out of academia with the right skills is challenging. So this committee is targeting that challenge, those challenges on both sides. Um, one of the things they're going to do is put a repository together of internships, because what we're also hearing is that of course, the industrial sector is looking for people that are talented and smart and have technical skills and, you know, need a solid educational background in selected areas. But what they may actually hire on are those soft skills about can you work in a team? Are you a self-starter? And so internships that are offered are often a testing or proving ground for will this person fit into the culture of our organization. So I think that's a challenge kind of on the industry academia side. And then lastly, and again, this will be not news to you, 
is that we have a diversity, equity, and inclusion committee because the composition of the workforce in our sector doesn't currently reflect the composition of the world in which we live. And so if we want to deliver, this is going back to our model about geospatial in everything and for everyone, then to make it for everyone, we got to kind of look like who is everyone. Definitely. We have a challenge. You know, if you look at our board, it's large with a few exceptions. And I would say we've doubled the diversity on our board over the last two years, which is great. But when you start at a pretty low number, you still have kind of a low number, even with the doubling of it. Okay. And the way I kind of look at it is when you look and see a largely male and white board of governors, these people have had phenomenal careers. I don't want to take anything away from them. Those were trees that were planted 20 years ago, and they have now matured to move into this arena. And you know the analogy, when's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. When's the second best time today? We have got to be planting trees today for the diverse workforce and composition of our executive positions, hopefully not in 20 years. I think it will go faster, but that is a challenge in our industry in particular. It's a challenge, but it's also an opportunity, right? So on the matter of opportunities. Yep. Expand on how that is an opportunity for us to plant now, plant the diversity, the DEI committee is working on that. And beyond that, what are some of the other opportunities that exist for the industry to further influence and drive that geospatial agenda? And that's a really good question, too, because I, I do often think of the glass being half full rather than half empty, okay? But I, I just don't want to get lulled into kind of sitting on our laurels because we really do have to create an industry that looks like the world in which we, in which we serve. I think when I talked about the opportunities, I will take it back to that forcing function. I think we could be much more vocal with a united voice in either these international governance mechanisms or pushing for stronger public-private partnerships and having the industry come to the table and say, okay, what are the contributions that we can make so that governments would want to work with us more? I think we have an obligation to paint a picture for the future, like with the metaverse. I mean, a lot of people have talked about for decades uh, about the threats of climate change and the earth being an integrated system. But if we as a sector can show that through digital twins and the implementation of those, either visualization or doing the modeling that we were talking about, that's a tremendous opportunity because as adults, we often need to see something or experience something versus just read about it. And we've got just such great stories in this industry to show how we are impacting people. I think we need to, we need to keep doing that and keep pushing along those lines. I know that the WGIC has projects and collaborations through your partnerships and engagement committee are there any projects or collaborations that you'd like to highlight that you're currently working on? I'll do one past and one present, okay? The one past one that I'd like to showcase because it feeds into the climate agenda that I referenced before is we worked with former U.S. Vice President Al Gore's organization, Climate Trace, and their operational arm called Watt Time. 
and then GEO, the group on Earth Observations, the organization I used to work with. So it was three sponsors, Climate Trace slash Watt Time, GEO, and WGIC. We put together a mapping of who's monitoring greenhouse gases from space. And it showed while the public sector has been the workhorse in this arena for 20 or 30 years, it's showing the increased contribution that the commercial sector is making increased spatial, spectral, or temporal resolutions. And that's what we went, the conference of the parties, to say, listen, you've got capabilities on both sides. They really need to be used. So that's a really strong story about partnerships and collaboration to address the major issues facing the Earth. The current partnership, while we have several, the one I would want to mention is one with GCOM. GCOM is the Global Covenant of Mayors. They have almost 13,000 signatories of local and city government around the world. Now, these city governments, they have needs for geospatial information. Our companies can fill those needs. We just need to marry them. And so if the partnership between WGIC and GCOM at two association levels could facilitate some of these exchanges between a company and an individual city, you know, what greater way to kind of make a change in the world? Because that's where people live. I don't know the statistics you probably do. 70% of the world's population live in urban areas and it's only slated to increase So, you know, let's go to where the people are. And we're hoping that this partnership with GCOM will do that. Great. You've talked about a lot of the innovation that is happening in industry. With this kind of rapid advancement in technology and data analytics, where do you see the geospatial conversation really going in the next five to 10 years? We're talking about the metaverse now, but what's next? You know what? In the report that we did for the metaverse, we put in both reports, the Spatial Digital Twins report, which was the precursor to the metaverse report. We put a Gartner hype curve in there for technological advancement. And, you know, there's an initial excitement. Then you go into the draw disillusionment and then you come back out. In both places, both for digital twins and for the metaverse, we haven't hit that draw yet. So we're going down before we come up. And so I think it's still going to be a while before you see a full realization of those technologies. But what I do see is I think over five to 10 years, we'll see more data, but I don't know that data is going to be the currency with which we exchange things. I think there's going to be a move away from selling data to selling answers or products or something that build to that. Because when you think about most of the people that you've worked with, the data is an input to what they really want. They aren't necessarily asking for data. They're asking, if we get this much rain, how many houses are going to be flooded? And I think you're going to see a migration to a business model where the charging mechanism is based on those products that are delivered rather than the data that went into that product. And I think you're also going to see companies coming together. Our new president, Bryn Fosberg out of Trimble, really wants to have a conversation among WGIC members. And like yourself, these people are CEOs of their own companies. He wants to have a conversation about more interoperability. Standards are important, but he doesn't want this conversation going down a standards 
track. We have partners that can do that. He wants to get executive level discussions about whether they're, you know, sharing your APIs. Many of these companies may have the same city that they're doing work for. And instead of just lobbying their products over the fence, you know, and then having the city or the state or the federal government do the integration among these members' products, could our members, if they agreed to do more interoperability, help those customers more? So I think you're going to see, whether they're competitors or not, I think you're going to see more collaboration in the industry, and hopefully WGIC will be a facilitator for that. Great. How can industry players, both the newcomers, people who have been there for a long time, prepare themselves to be at the forefront of the conversation that's evolving? You know what? And this is so much easier said than done, but we have just got to be open to possibilities because there's no end to what human potential can create. We can't be constrained by either traditional thinking. We've, we've got to be open to those possibilities. And then at the same time, and I think maybe this actually kind of ties back into the standards question we touched on a minute ago. We WGIC are not a standards organization. We recognize the importance of standards, but we would much rather have a strong partnership with ISO or OGC or a standards-based organization. So knowing what lanes in the road you play in, I think are really important because it's so easy to have scope creep and want to do it all when in fact the more sustaining work in the long run, in my opinion, is if we can establish meaningful relationships and partnerships with organizations that aren't like us, but maybe have a different part of that ecosystem, I think the product that gets delivered would be so much more robust. Collaborate to innovate. Yeah, that's great. And you know what, Val? Somebody said, well, we're an ecosystem and in a natural ecosystem, you know the symbiosis, you know, between and among organisms. And we just need to do a better job of creating those dependencies. It's hard. It's not easy to do. And sometimes we're reluctant to do it because if they fail, we might fail. But we need to move in that direction. Definitely. And moving in that direction, how can we ensure that we move with inclusivity? We touched on it before from a gender perspective, from a diversity perspective. We are still, let's stay on geographic diversity for a minute. We are still largely North American and European based. I think we have three companies in Africa. We just got a company in from Asia. We only had one before that. We might have one company in South America, but is maybe moving to the United States. We just need to do a better job, particularly in the global South, because there are small and medium-sized and even big-sized companies down there that we would love to kind of increase our geographic diversity within WGIC. That would help immensely. The other thing that, again, should be credited with is there are organizations out there that aren't geospatial organizations, but they either have big geospatial entities or units or the verticals heavily, heavily rely. So it could be organizations like Deloitte and PwC. It could be Rio Tinto. It could be John Deere. 
it could be Nestle. And also, if they could somehow come in as like an alliance partner to the organization, that might actually help us get our story out about the relevance or we're doing this for what? We're doing this for farmers. You know, we're doing this for miners. We're doing this for foresters. And so for me, that I think drives to an inclusivity point or aspect to your question. Yeah, so broadening that engagement, geospatial in everything, geospatial for everyone. So we've been really surrounding that theme as we go along. Any final thoughts or messages that you'd like to share with our listeners about the importance of the geospatial conversation and the role of industry in shaping that conversation? I guess the only thing I would add, Val, is it's just, it's a tremendously exciting time And there are so many needs out there that we can't fill them all. But if we could at least start to keep an open mind, expand our partnerships, increase the diversity in the sector, then I really truly believe the future is pretty bright. And with all the challenges that are facing the earth right now and civilization, we actually need some bright lights out there. And I think this sector and our partners could make a difference. I totally agree with you. Barb, it's been an absolute pleasure having you join us today for this conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your insights. And we look forward to the continued impact of WGIC and the industry in helping to shape the geospatial future. Thank you, Val. And thanks for everything you're doing too and and your creativity in the system because even creating this series you're extending your own skills to make a difference. So thank you for that. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to Mapping the Conversations. Join us for the next episode as we build and propel this movement forward.